Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins. I'm your host, Father Jim Cordo. Wineskins features reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with thoughts on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. It is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, we will enjoy an interview highlighting the Vatican II document on consecrated life. We will also look at the life and times of St. John Bosco, and we will hear a reflection on the readings for this fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our current issue today, we will hear from Father Jack Lavelle on the annual Diocesan Appeal. Hello, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. I currently have the privilege of serving the Diocese of Youngstown in three different capacities. First, as the pastor of St. Michael Parish in Canfield. Second, as the vicar for missionary discipleship in the diocese. In that role, I'm working to help bring people back to an understanding of how to truly embrace and live their faith with joy and happiness. The third role is the one why I'm here today. I also serve as the Director for Stewardship and Development for the Diocese of Youngstown. One of the major endeavors of the Office of Stewardship and Development is the annual Diocesan Appeal. Over the years, you may have known this as the Appeal for Catholic Charities or the Annual Bishop's Appeal. Last year, after much reflection, we determined that we should call it the Annual Diocesan Appeal. Recognizing that all of us throughout the six counties of the Diocese of Youngstown play an important part in serving the brothers and sisters in need and continuing the mission and the ministry of the Church. The theme for the annual diocesan appeal is one in hope, one in mission. And this really serves to highlight what the two main focuses of the appeal are. First, one in hope. Sixty cents of every dollar raised by the annual diocesan appeal goes to help support the work of Catholic charities throughout our diocesan community. We're not only bringing assistance in the way in which we seek to assist those who are in need of food, medicine, shelter, clothing, a variety of other physical needs, but all of that is sought to bring together hope, hope that is lived out in the service and the ministry and all of our Catholic Charities agencies. In fact, last year, well over 33,000 individuals and families received support from our agencies in Ashtabula, our regional agency in Columbiana, Mahoning, and Trumbull, and our Catholic Charities agency serving Portage and Stark counties. We also help to provide many ministries through our Hispanic ministry, prison ministry, and the Office of Catholic Charities diocesan offices, which is the administrative arm of all of these services, on the ground working to bring needs met in all of those who are struggling in one way or another. Not only are we seeking to be one in hope, but we're seeking to be one in mission. And 40% of the appeal dollars raised goes to support many of the ministries lived out in our diocesan community, our communications and social media ministry, missionary discipleship, the office that I serve in, vocations and seminary formation, working to bring priests into our parishes, but also to assist in deacon formation, religious life, as well as our diocesan archives, cherishing the treasures of the past 80 years of our diocese and making them tangible for us today, as well as faith formation and lay ecclesial ministry, lay ministry formation, pro-life, marriage and family ministry, youth and young adult ministry, 
There are so many different ways in which we are seeking to bring that true presence of Christ to others in our community. And so, indeed, we are seeking to be one in hope and one in mission. But we live in a real world, a real world where bringing all of those needs and meeting all of those challenges takes money. Many times people will say to me, why do you want a job where you're seeking to simply raise money? And it's not about the dollars. Every time I see the response to the appeal, I see the people who are served, the hungry who are fed, the homeless who are sheltered. And I also see a greater increase in that awareness of Christ dwelling in us and through us, how we educate our young people, how we form our priests, how we continue to shape and live a life of faith in and through our parishes. I want to thank all of you in the name of Bishop Bonner who have generously given to the appeal in past years. And as these coming weeks find those mailings coming to your homes or in the pews at your parishes, I'd invite you to take some time and prayerfully reflect on your ability to offer a gift to the annual Diocesan Appeal, one in hope and one in mission. Thank you again, and may God bless us all as we see the way in which God is calling us to serve and share the best of ourselves with and for each other. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. To tell us more about the life and times of St. John Bosco is Lou Jack Hay. He is from St. Brendan Church in Youngstown. John Bosco was born in the Archdiocese of Turin, Italy in 1815. His father died when he was only two years old. His early years were financially difficult, and at the age of 20, he entered the major seminary where, thanks to a generous benefactor, he received financial help. John Bosco was ordained a priest on June 5, 1846, and founded the Oratory of St. Francis de Sales. At this time, the city of Turin was on the verge of the Industrial Revolution, which became a challenge for many young men at the time. Gifted as John was as an educator and leader, he formulated a system based on reason, religion, and kindness. In 1868, there were 800 students involved in his educational system. To ensure the continuation of his educational work, he founded the Society of St. Francis de Sales, or the Salesians, which was approved in 1869. In 1875, a wave of emigration to Latin America began, and this prompted the inauguration of the Salesian missionaries to have an apostolate there. Bosco became a traveler throughout Europe, seeking funds for the missions. Some of the reports referred to him as the new St. Vincent de Paul. This great apostle of youth died on January 31, 1888, and was canonized by Pope Pius XI in 1934. Pope John Paul II named him teacher and father to the young. It is as teacher and father of the young, as stated in the opening prayer of the Mass, that St. John Bosco's life is best summarized. He himself has said in his old age, I promised God that until my last breath, I would live for my poor youth. His own awareness of the fatherhood of God was extremely vivid. He was convinced that without a sense of intimacy with God, it is impossible to be an educator. He said, education is something from the heart, and God alone is its master. We cannot succeed in anything unless God gives us the key to these hearts. Of the three qualities that John Bosco required in teachers, 
Kindness was of particular importance. In the officer readings, he advises educators to love the young as they would love their own sons. It goes without saying that this also applies to parents as educators. Indeed, parents should be the prototype of teachers. Another characteristic of John Bosco was described by a writer in this way. He knew how to create an impressive system of education by bringing the church back into contact with the masses, which the church was losing. For us who are outside the church and outside every church, he is really a hero, the hero of preventive education and of the family school. His followers can be proud. In the opening prayer of the Mass, we ask God to give us a love like that of St. John Bosco so that we may give ourselves completely to your service and to the salvation of mankind. John Bosco especially liked the statement, Jesus began to do before he began to teach. He was truly prophetic in bringing to souls a spirituality based on the apostolate and an asceticism based on work. I do not recommend penance and the discipline, he said, but work, work, work. For Wineskins, I'm Lou Jack Hay. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document we're going to discuss today is a decree on the adaption and renewal of religious life. This decree sent shock waves through the church. Now, most Catholics don't really understand what religious life is about. And they know that there are nuns that would teach in schools or hospitals. They wouldn't understand there was an infinite variety of nuns. They would know there'd be priests that are in religious congregations and orders or brothers, but they wouldn't know how to distinguish them from diocesan priests. They're all sort of lumped together. And yet there are these institutions, ancient and modern, that make up religious communities, each with their own spirituality, each with their own mission and purpose in the life of the church. We know that there's one word that really defines religious life in the church today, and that's the word charism. How important is that word and what is that all about? Well, it started really with this document where the various religious congregations of men and women were challenged to get back to the roots of their foundation to renew themselves in the charism, the original vision of their founders or foundresses, and to bring a new dynamism to their congregations and to figure out what was essential and non-essential, especially in congregations that were hundreds of years old, would take a lot of work, a lot of reflection. My own congregation was only founded in 1914, and our founder was at the Vatican Council, so we could just ask him what he was all about. But this document wanted people to get back to their roots in order to strengthen their mission, whatever that might be. What I'm wondering is, why would the Vatican Council have an entire document on religious life? Why is that important? Because religious life has been really at the forefront of all of the charitable works within the church, and also 
at the forefront of the contemplative field, because there are some contemplative orders that from the perspective of the world don't do a thing. Just a bunch of nuns lock themselves away and Lord knows what they're doing all day. And same with, say, like the Trappist monks who would be working and praying in silence, and the world could have no concept of that. But we know from the perspective of faith just how powerful those vocations are. And so the church had a desire to renew those institutions and allow them, I would say, to renew themselves following their own path. And that was at the basis of this document. Let's talk about monasticism, because obviously that's an important part of the beginnings of religious life. What exactly are we talking about when we say the word monastic? Well, it started in the late 4th century, early 5th century, when people looking for perfect union with God went out to the desert to pray, to be alone with God. But that loneliness with God drove most of them crazy. It did not help. And so starting with, say, like St. Benedict, they would come together in groups of men or groups of women who would pray and work together, supporting one another in this quest for the holy. St. Benedict, when he was praying one day, was wondering, well, really, what's my life about? And suddenly he had this inspiration saying, you're hiding in the face of God. And so we need those institutions, and they've stood the test of time. They really saved civilization in the West. They became centers of learning, of culture, of education. And they strengthened humanity intellectually as well as spiritually. Then in the Middle Ages, we had the mendicant orders like the Franciscans and the Dominicans start up, each with their own charism, their own mandate. And after that, there's been so many active orders meeting various needs of the church that the bishops felt we need to really address this great grace that we have. What's interesting is that when we look at the structure of the church and the hierarchical structure, for example, Mm -hmm. bishops, priests, deacons, we know that religious life is not among those particular hierarchical structures, and yet religious life is really an important gift to the church. And how important is it for us to recognize and to always lift up religious life? Well, there are some religious communities that are attached directly to the bishop. There are other religious congregations, like my own, that are pontifical, they're attached directly to the pope. And others are independent because of their great antiquity. But all of them work in conjunction with the local church and the universal church. The independence of these organizations has given them their own particular vitality to seize the initiative that needs to be taken to meet the needs of God's people. And it's from these congregations, the great universities have arisen, great hospitals, and we are so grateful for those lives that were dedicated in consecrating to bringing us these other great and healing and helpful institutions. Many uh, religious communities, at least I know here locally, uh, have uh, groups of people, like lay people, for example, that participate in their mission. They don't become a religious sister or brother or priest, but they participate in a very real and profound way. How has that changed in the life of the church? Well, the life of the laity as a whole has been endorsed in the Second Vatican Council. 
and the consecrated life of the laity in a special way and what they call secular institutes attached to religious communities has been extremely helpful. In fact, the secular institutes are not secular in a sense that we use it in general, worldly, but they're institutes in the world to transform the world. And then there are other people that are simply volunteers and supporters of the local religious communities, and they've been so dynamic and helpful in our congregations, whatever the congregation's mission might be. Do we have religious communities that have drastically changed in and of themselves since this document? Yes, they've been tremendous changes exteriorly in the way people dress and the way people look, and interiorly the way the congregations are organized. And both were important because although there were many wonderful things in the pre-Vatican II living of religious life, there were also things that had to be changed, and the church knew it very profoundly. Father Jeff, just a few brief comments as we conclude. Religious life has always been a part of the church, will continue to be a part of the church, and will take on uh, vital new forms under the power of the Holy Spirit. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The annual Diocesan Appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our Diocesan Church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission, building up the life of the church and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. Our music today is provided by John Michael Talbot. It is from his CD called Signatures. Once for now 
nothing frighten you For everything passes But God will never change you Patient endurance Will obtain everything Whoever has God Wants for nothing this, the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time, we will hear more about the Sacred Scriptures by Deacon Mike Kajancic. He is from St. Charles Church in Boardman. In September, when Hurricane Ian hit Florida, and then later when Hurricane Nicole hit, I can't tell you the number of interviews I heard where the survivors said, I lost everything, my home, my car, all my possessions, but at least I'm alive and still have my family, and that's all that matters. For the next four Sundays, our Gospel will focus on the Sermon of the Mount as presented in Matthew. In Matthew, the Beatitudes are a summary of the values taught by Jesus. They are presented early on in the ministry of Jesus, and the rest of Matthew will build on those values. They are important values, and it's important to Jesus that his followers listen closely to what he is about to say. And we know that from a phrase, He went up the mountain, and after he had sat down. That may sound like a cute little detail to the story, but when a rabbi or teacher sat down, it meant to those listening, pay attention. This is very important. It's coming from my heart. This is what I hold dear. We must remember that at the core of the values in Jesus' time was a sense of honor. More important than anything was honor, keeping to the principles considered right, what you spent your life pursuing, in this Gospel of Matthew, the poor were not economically disadvantaged, but those who had lost their honor, their core values, either through their own fault or because of circumstances beyond their control, such as widows and orphans. In English, we use the word blessed, but a different translation in Matthew would be truly honorable. 
Jesus proclaims how Christian honor is achieved, not in status according to the world, but in being without status, for that makes one totally dependent upon God. What's more important is not the person who gains honor, but the God who bestows honor. Truly honorable are the poor in spirit, for they have surrendered self-will, self-reliance, the gathering of power and position to welcome and embrace the kingdom of God. Truly honorable are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for this is what one needs when one stands before God. The merciful, the single-hearted, the peacemakers, the persecuted are truly honorable, for they have become one with Christ and his mission and will not let this world corrupt them. For those of us not directly affected by the wrath of Hurricane Ian or Nicole, we may feel sympathy for their plight and do what we can to relieve the suffering that affected so many in such a wide area of our country. But in some way, we too can be affected by seemingly smaller problems daily, but just as threatening to our personal well-being, to our honor. From money issues, to illnesses that affect our health, loss of a job, alcohol or drug dependency issues, family squabbles that threaten the core of what it means to be family. All of us are faced throughout our lives with threats to our peace and security and our honor. When that happens to us, do we begin to calculate what it's going to cost to rebuild and regain? Or are we able to sit down and say, at least I'm alive, I still have my family, my God, my faith. I hope we can, for that's when we realize how truly blessed we are. That's what really matters, and only then will God bestow on us a great honor in heaven, a place where we will dwell for eternity. For Wineskins, I'm Deacon Mike Kojancic. What is your philosophy in life, knowing that will affect the quality of our existence in this world? It will ultimately affect our eternal destiny in this life, and that is something worth thinking about. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Our program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed week. Please join Catholic Charities by helping to support the Warm Hearts for Warm Homes campaign, formerly known as Keep the Kids Warm. The Warm Heart for Warm Homes campaign helps to provide direct utility assistance to families with children, working poor adults, and older adults on fixed incomes. Last year, Catholic Charities agencies impacted thousands of people through utility assistant efforts. Unfortunately, this year, the need for heat and utility assistance continues to rise. Catholic Charities is asking for your help to make Warm Hearts for Warm Homes a success by giving to your local parish online at www.ccdoy.org or by calling Catholic Charities at 330-744-8451.